0: Know me, this is not my normal voice. I've been hit by the Texas, I call it the Texas bingo, um, because I've got eye drops, nose spray, Allegra, Mucinex, and ibuprofen. Bingo. (laughs) So this morning when I woke up and a small miracle did not occur, uh, the miracle being my voice being back. I almost wept, and not because I was worried about making it through the sermon, but because I was so disappointed I wasn't going to be able to sing along to the beautiful music. Thank you to Fran and the band. I have been looking forward to this for months. They have put so much thought into the repertoire today. It was beautiful. So today is Easter Sunday, Um, but next Sunday will mark exactly one year since the passing of a great theologian, Reverend Dr. James Cone. Anybody heard of him? Yeah. His development and advocacy of black liberation theology spanned over six decades. He was incredibly influential. He was a pioneer in the interpretation of a Christian gospel that prioritized racial justice and elevated the voices of the oppressed. Read his work. It will change you. Read his work, and it will change how you understand the message of the cross. And it will change how you receive the hope of the resurrection, and it will change what you do with that hope. So in honor of him and in honor of today, Resurrection Sunday, I'd like to begin with a quote from his 2011 work, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Quote, the lynching tree, so strikingly similar to the cross on Golgotha, should have a prominent place in American images of Jesus's death, but it does not. In the lynching era between 1880 and 1940, white Christians lynched nearly 5,000 black men and women in a manner with obvious echoes of the Roman crucifixion of Jesus. Yet these Christians did not see the irony or contradiction in their actions. End quote. Cone explains the effect Of these lynchings on black lives and culture, both then and now. He says, because of their arbitrary, their experience of arbitrary violence, the cross was and is a redeeming and comforting image, not just the resurrection, but the cross, a comforting image for many black Christians. He said, if the God of Jesus's cross is found among the least, the crucified people of the world, then God is also found among those lynched in American history. Now why am I telling you this? This ugly lynching history is a part of our American story, which means it's our responsibility to own up to it and to see, recognize its connection to present day. Present day arbitrary violence, present-day white supremacy, present-day response from the American Christian. See, after the joy of the resurrection, the disciples were told by Christ, essentially, there's work to do, go do it. We have work to do. It's called resurrection work, and it is the work of healing. It is the work of peace and the work of reconciliation. But first, we remember, James Cone said, we remember that the resurrected Lord was the crucified Lord. The resurrected Jesus was also the crucified Jesus. So resurrection compels us to both look ahead and to remember. In our hopeful looking ahead, we don't forget that Jesus' teachings, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection were marked by solidarity with the suffering. We don't forget that there is sorrow mingled in with the Easter Sunday proclamation, he is risen. And so I love that grief is a part of the narrative from the book of John, the last reading you just heard. It is the most detailed of all the resurrection accounts. It is privileged each year in the lectionary. And its telling is not all about celebrating, if you noticed. It doesn't skim over the effects of the cross, it takes into account the pain, into account the road traveled. It says, Mary went out, and it was still dark when she went out. It was still dark. Today, at the highest moment of the Christian year, when we celebrate the hope of Jesus' triumph over death, the story we are given still emphasizes despair. So even after Mary ran for two of the disciples, bringing them back to the scene, even after they had checked things out and gone back to their homes, it says, Mary stood weeping by the empty tomb. Captain in marks all over it. This sitting in darkness, this la- surrender to lament. Mary didn't go home with the others. She stayed. She sat at that empty tomb with no answers, and she didn't deny her grief. She made room for it. And as we know, at that graveyard site, Mary was the first to come face to face with the resurrected God. Isn't that funny? She saw the face of God at the grave. What a contradicting image. And yet the contrast of her anguish alongside the reality and joy of resurrection is made more powerful precisely because of it. It's almost as if surrendering to the truth of resurrection somehow expands us, making us capable of more. And not just the good stuff, not just the celebrating, but also the lamenting and the penitence and everything in between. We are expanded. What if this is what resurrection looks like? All things made whole. Maybe Jesus resurrected Mary in that graveyard. Maybe when he said her name, she woke up. She certainly recognized him after he said it. Jesus was resurrected, and maybe he resurrects us too. Maybe all things rise. Part of our problem is that, as Franciscan priest Richard Rohr says, we don't have the large mindedness or the big heartedness to deal with suffering or even inconvenience. I think this is a part of our resistance to rising we spend our lives trying to preserve self. We spend our time attempting to avoid pain. This is the natural inclination of our egos, and it is the same inclination that gets us angry, or at the very least uncomfortable, when we talk too much about others' suffering, including systemic oppression in our society. And yet, this is exactly the kind of resurrection work we are called to, at least if we're modeling our work based on the ministry of Jesus. But our egos would tell us that we don't have room to bear any more pain than we already have. Our egos tell us we have enough troubles on our own. This is a lie because the easter claim tells us otherwise resurrection proves to us that god is in the business of making things new and as followers of god we are tasked with being a part of that work and we're not just tasked with it we are empowered but might be hopeful while it might be freeing we know it doesn't mean we will be free from pain Life has already proven that to be true. Instead, resurrection is more like that large-mindedness and big-heartedness of God reminding us that we will never, ever, 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 ever run out of love. This is how we know that we can face suffering, face pain, face the many stresses and inconveniences of life. We are not bound by them. They don't define us, which means we can face them. This is the hope of Jesus' resurrection. We are not bound by things of death. Instead, we are liberated by new life. Resurrection is new life, and out of Jesus' victory, all things rise. This is worth celebrating. Mary's way of celebrating, once she finally recognized Jesus... Was to tighten her grip. She literally grabbed hold of him. And Jesus says, Look it up. He says, Don't hold on to me, but go. Go. Announce that I have risen. In other words, go preach, go work, go share, go extend, go include. Jesus says, don't hold on to me, but go. And Mary does go eventually, but her first instinct was to cling to the going that she understood. She was clinging to the Jesus she had known before he died, before he was resurrected. She was holding on to what was past. And when Jesus says don't, she opened her hands wide and she surrendered to the new reality of resurrection, a reality that demanded not just her faith, but her action. See, resurrection is not just coming alive to yourself. It's coming alive to humanity, to all of creation. It is believing, this is faith, that your heart is big enough to carry not just the joy but also the pain of this world we are its stewards when mary let go and surrendered she finally recognized jesus and there was this beautiful moment in which his command and her own impulse to do something intersected they were in sync And as she ran to the disciples, to her friends, her people, she was overcome by not just joy, but also spirit, and her words were like resurrected words rising up and out of her. And you know what she said? Of all things, I have seen God. It's the very last moment of this narrative, almost as if it's the most important lesson we could take away from it, this connection between surrender and seeing God. Surrender resulted in Mary seeing the face of God, and seeing God was enough. It was enough to wake her up. It was enough to pluck her from her depths, to compel her to move. It was enough to resurrect her. Could seeing God be enough for us? I think so. We can follow Mary's example, knowing that we cannot rise if we are holding on to whatever weighs us down. Whether it be our past or our present burdens or our fear of the future, we can loosen our ego grips and surrender to spirit. And when we do, we can expect to see the face of God because we were created to. Imago Day. You were created in the image of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. Imago Day. So, if we do anything on Resurrection Sunday, let it be loosen our grips. Let us loosen our grips on everything we think we understand about life and about God and everything else. As Walt Whitman said, re-examine all you have been told in school or church or any book. May we be students in unlearning, practitioners in the art of surrender. Let us loosen our boundaries of who is in and who is out. Remembering that the radical love and inclusion of Jesus knows no bounds to the point that he was willing to suffer and die to make that claim. Let us loosen our paradigm grips as the church, capital C. Let us hold our traditions and all our spoken and unspoken rules lightly remembering that even Mary, as an intimate friend of Jesus, didn't recognize him in his resurrected form. And we shouldn't be able to recognize the church in its resurrected form either. It should look totally different than anything we have seen before. Totally new, which reminds me, let us loosen our grips on that word, we got locked away because we don't like saying it, sorry. Let's get really, really good at saying, I'm sorry, individually and collectively. If we actually did all this stuff, would we even recognize ourselves anymore? This, my friends, is resurrection work. This is the act of rising. It's not comfortable, it's not easy, but it is utterly hopeful. And it's this uncomfortable gospel message that we should never quit preaching. If you really think about it, it's only uncomfortable because we've never seen anything like it, and we're creatures of habit. We like labels and boxes and categories in which we can neatly place all the things we ever encounter, but this is not what we are called to do. We are called to be a part of the work of creating something that has never existed and with using a blueprint that is extremely difficult to fathom. The lectionary reading for today from the book of Isaiah provides us with an example, a beautiful example of this blueprint. When God says, I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. God says, there will be no weeping. God says, everyone will be provided for. God says, there will be peace. I'm reading straight out of the text. I don't have the Bible in front of me, but it's printed. In my, from the Bible, okay? I'm not making this up. God says everyone will be provided for. God says there will be peace. God says the wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. I didn't say it. God said it. This is a picture of a transformed world. So wild, so radical, so unrecognizable. It is unbelievable to us. And yet this is what resurrection looks like, new and creative paradigms in our lives, in society, in the church. It's so difficult to wrap our minds around that sometimes all we can do is learn from Peter and John in today's reading and try our hand at believing without totally understanding. Because the whole of scripture and entire existence convey a loud and clear message that we are included in God's resurrection work. So, hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And he invites us to rise too. So this is my benediction for you. You are created in the image of God. You are made for resurrection. You have the spirit of God in you, meaning you carry resurrection power in you. You are made to rise, to be full and whole, to know new life and to make things new. Surrender to the reality of resurrection by living a resurrected life and expect to see the face of God. Amen.